before we start, here's a message from one of our friends. Hi, my name's Steve, and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News Podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show where people share their passions. Everyone is geek about something. I'm your super dummy Paul on a mission to learn from people's experiences. This is Era of Geek. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you have time, please remember to leave a review if your podcasting app allows it. It really helps people find the show. And I have a great guest today with some amazing stories. Everything from midnight readings with Neil Gaiman to strange audiences at concerts. I'm Heath Bedore. I'm a freelance writer currently living in uh, Minnesota. Um, yeah, I've been a geek my whole life, so. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of things do you, um, do you like enjoy in the geek culture world? What, what would be your interest? Mainly comics, but, uh, music is probably the most constant in my life. Um, video games, role-playing games, but the two mainstays are, uh, music and, uh, and comic books, I definitely say. Comics when I was about 10, uh. I have a friend, Sean Freeling, who's actually a, 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 on my Facebook. Um, just started, we just started getting into comics, and it was 84, so it was this golden era that I didn't even know I fell into. Chris Claremont's X-Men, John Burns, Fantastic Four, Walt Simonson on Thor. It was, it was like manna from heaven. So I was like a Marvel zombie, if they, anybody in the geek culture even uses that term anymore, but it was... <laughs> It was all, I had a stack of DC comics and those have become my favorite DC comics, but it was, uh, it was all Marvel for a good two or three years. And then I found metal and girls and then, uh, <laughs> then it was metal and I grew my hair out into a nice mullet and, uh, yeah, but with music, it was, uh, it was recording songs on the radio. I mean, we had like the best thing I was ever given as a child was like a tape recorder. So I could tape the radio and try to time it so that the DJ wasn't talking. So it was like all the new wave stuff, uh, synth pop. Uh, my cousin Jenny got me into like Duran Duran and um, yeah, it was, it was always anything on the radio. And then as I got older and into metal, that was like Metallica. Like when, when one, when I heard that, it was like, you know, the sound at the end of the world. It was like life changing. So I became a huge Metallica fan uh, for a couple years. 
and comics kind of went by the wayside until I was in high school. And then I met a whole bunch of geeks there. So it was, it was all over. I was, I was drawn back in. So it's kind of <laughs> like the mafia, I guess. I mean, it's like, once you think you're out, and I've done this half a dozen times in my life. I'm 48 and it's like 38 years. It's like, wow, it's pretty crazy, but yeah, definitely comics in a time when, uh, it, it was, <laughs> you were, you were kind of looked strangely, uh, if you're reading a comic in America in, in, in 1985, yeah, it was, it was all Sean Freely and he, bless his soul. He got me into it. And then around high school, I wanted to write comics. So I was sending out submissions and, and I didn't send too many out cause it was just like soul crushing, but, uh, writing came I, I always wanted to be a writer. I never wanted to be anything else. So that was, uh, that was another thing. Books came in, you know, around, Around uh, eighth grade, it was uh, we read Great Expectations, and I was just eating up Dickens, looking at my classmates like, "Why did you think this is awesome?" It was just awesome. And I remember reading The Catcher in the Rye and J.D. Salinger, and it was I was way too young for it, but I just loved it. And then um, 1984, I read um, a Tony. Uh, I always call him Tone, so it's so weird everybody calls him Tone just because it's just been Tone since I was. 15 so i'm like if i refer to him as tone it's still tony farina so um same person i just call him tone since you know the late the late 80s so he was a pivotal person in my life for for writing and for for being a geek like sitting in there in, in his trunk in a in the in the parking lot of a girls basketball game we went to because his girlfriend was on the team like writing in our journals separately, like sitting next to each other, sitting in his trunk, writing in the journals. Like, I just can't imagine people doing that these days, but it was just, everything was very exciting. He could, he could make anything exciting. It was, it was awesome. But uh, yeah, so it was, it was then like, it was like uh, introduced to punk rock very soon in high school. And I got into theater and it was uh, a whole nother, group of people and then i was like oh these are this theater people are like my people so it was uh it was yet another thing that was added to the mix and that was another pivotal pivotal thing going then then i was getting into uh the the, the last remnants of the post-punk thing and, and grunge had not yet come i started going to the clubs in like south bend with friends of mine and um yeah it was uh it was an it was a really cool time to be a teenager <laughs> Cause you, you, you wouldn't have credit cards. You didn't, you, you just, we always were going somewhere. We were always getting out of the small town that we lived in. So it was, uh, it, it was the hunt of finding comics or finding CDs or finding a bootleg CD somebody had. So we all, some of my friends had lists, but it was like, you know, we'd drive an hour and just go to comic shops looking for that particular issue and then we'd help each other like hey man you, you're looking for the new teen titans check this out so yeah it was it was very like diy i think at the time it, there's no internet so it's like now i can go to ebay and just go you know teen titans full run and it was it was finding that one issue that was uh that was so pivotal back then and the same thing with music i wasn't on the vinyl but i just i was still like into cassettes until like the mid nineties, which is kind of embarrassing now, but <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a real sort of 
I don't know, a trail of adventures. Oh yeah, we would go on. Yeah, we would we would we would go to these different comic shops, and then I started going to conventions. Um, Tony and I went to one in Chicago, and it was it was like his folks just dropped us off, and then it was like a it was like an annual thing. And '93, uh, it was when Vertigo dropped, and that was that was awesome. Vertigo was like everything that I was into, uh, amalgamation all in one. So it was the music I was listening to, the clothes I was wearing, the way people talked, and it was it wasn't insulting. It was it, it was it was at that level that we were all at, you know. And uh, reading Shade the Changing Man and, and Sandman and Sandman Mystery Theater and then Preacher, it was just everything was coming at once. It was a great, it was a great time in, in comics where it was, and then independent movies were coming too. So it was, uh, and I got really into Twin Peaks too around 93. So it was like all these different kind of surreal things going on. And uh, I was graduating school and stuff. So it was, uh, it was an exciting time. We went to the 93 Chicago Comic Con and Neil Gaiman did a midnight reading. So we literally like went to a Denny's and like chain smoked and, drank a bunch of water and Tony's like, yeah, I'm just going to told the waitress, I'm just going to tip you like a lot. So we're going to be here a long time. So we were there like two hours. Cause all, you know, and he had, Tony had thrown like seven people in the back of his pickup from, from Albion and which was God, it was two and a half hours from Chicago. So uh, we all stayed up and just tried to stay awake and, and Neil's doing this reading. It was, you know, I awkwardly met him during the break and then, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but it was, he was my favorite. It was, I've never seen that in a con a convention. He, he doesn't do it now, but he used to wear this leather jacket and, and aviator shades. And I remember I was at uh, guy Davis, who, who, who was a, who does like production design for, uh, uh, Gelo del Toro, but he, he did my favorite comic Baker street for caliber and then he did Sam and mystery theater and then he did the marquee and all these uh great comics but he was local he was local to michigan and i was talking to him or waiting for a sketch and neil walked through the convention hall and i've never seen pros that just stop and stare it was like a rock god coming in and, and he it's kind of like he knew it it was like it was really really cool and then um yeah i i was i i totally geeked out on neil but um yeah, that was that was '93. That was a great year of of comics and and everything. Yeah, so I, I tried to tried to do some submissions and it didn't get me anywhere. And uh, I tried in a later a little bit later on with Image to do like a Roxy story from Gen 13, but that didn't work either. But I always um, I got into doing a little bit of journalism because Tony and I moved, lived together briefly in uh, for almost a year in Albion and. Uh, I, I wrote a little bit for this paper called the second alternative, which is like a, not the college paper, but a, a little like alternative paper. And uh, so I had a toehold in the journalism world. So I got on the South Bend Tribune to do a little bit of a freelance beat. And then um, around 2000, Neil was coming out with American gods and he was doing this last angels tour in Chicago. So I networked my way and got his people and I got a 15 minute interview with him to do an article for the South Bend Tribune. My editor was a huge fan, so I totally lucked out. It was like a South Bend paper covering a Chicago thing. He was like, Neil Gaiman, yep, yeah, sure. I was like, sweet. So uh, 
Yeah, so that was like that's that's my journalistic claim to fame. Uh, so I did an interview with Neil like 22 years ago. Um, I thought about releasing it on YouTube or something as an audio file. If, if I'm like too embarrassed to probably even play it, I, I was like, oh god, I've got a little micro cassettes. They're just somewhere. I just will not get rid of them. I'm like, no, no, this is a. Uh, this is in the arc, the Fedora archives, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so then I tried to do more freelance. Uh, we moved to Jackson, Michigan, and I tried to do more there. And they were like, no, we're not taking any freelancers. So um, I've done a little bit for DC, uh, DC Comic News. I did a couple articles uh, a couple years ago. Uh, I interviewed Devin Grayson once for a it's called like Batman home web page or something. It was like a there and gone web page i know i looked at her website and i saw my interview was i think it was still on there i was somewhere in like the internet archive database and that was like that was i have a friend uh kind of a an internet friend jennifer contino and she um i've been friend like email pals or aol pals since like the aol days and uh, she wrote for a sequential tart i don't know if you ever remember that website um, it was all female, all female editors, um, really cool, covering all kinds of alternative comics, but then uh, um, focusing on female writers. Oh, it's just a beautiful site. Uh, I don't know if it's, it's exists in any form, but uh, she kind of helped me out <laughs> and said, well, okay, you know, because I had written another little article for Superman homepage years ago, and, uh, and then I showed her that sample, and she was like, oh, okay, uh, let me look at your your Devin questions and stuff. So, yeah, I wish I think Devin just popped up a, a little bit. She's I don't know if she's been doing other publishing, but yeah, that was that was interesting. So, and then uh, you know, like after that, just got a job at making auto parts for fifteen years and still still trying to write. So, what sort of stuff do you do you write about now? Oh, it's it's. The quarantine gave me no excuses anymore. And um, <laughs> I did stop for about eight years or so because I would kind of get trapped in this kind of anxiety filled space. But when you're, we were in Michigan um, prior to moving here and I, I quit my job and we were going to, my wife and I were going to go on this massive cross country. We were going to go to all, every place we'd ever been in the country and as February was going around, I'm like, honey, uh, this COVID thing is happening. She's like, what's this? And I'm like, and then March comes and we had just quit our jobs the 13th of March. And then the, the week later, they, they laid everybody off and my work that I worked at. So um, that got nixed. But uh, um, yeah, so I was, I was stuck there in an apartment for two months nothing to do so i'm like there's there's no reason i can't write so i started a couple things that but um lately i've been writing a a, a book that i've been writing for a year and that's the the, the longest i've worked on something uh tony and i are working on uh something that's together which is really cool and then um i'm just getting um thumbnails from uh, eric leah which i know you uh you've interviewed before mm about something we're working on a comic. So I've got a bunch of different writing stuff I'm working on now. So it's, uh, it's been pretty cool. I don't fall into these, these traps I used to fall into. So 
uh, it's been really good. The last the last year has been really good for me for writing. So, do you think that the fact that you can sort of treat it as a hobby is not something that your life depends on? You you don't have to no. do this because of money. Do you, do you think that helps or hinders you? Oh, it gives me ultimate freedom now because I've I've read up on writers who've had this hobby book that becomes huge and then they're just crippled by the pressure of having to get it done. You know, like readers don't care. They just want it, want it, they just want it. And um, so, yeah, so it's like, I have nothing, nothing to lose. And, and my attitude is I'm, I'm going to be in service of the story. One of the best things I ever heard Alan Moore ever say was, you know, you have to treat writing like it's your church. So I kind of treat it like that where it's, like I have, I'm just going to be in service of the story to get this story told. So I did a national novel writing month about four or five years ago. And I, I wrote about 60 pages of this superhero novel. I'm like superheroes, a novel, I can do this. And it's, it's going to be great. Cause it's, I've been into this since I was 10 and it was awful. It was just this massive, no chapters, just trying to throw down words to get like a certain daily word count in 30 days. And I, I didn't reach it. And uh, um, I've managed to kind of strip mine those ideas for this current comic idea that I'm working on. So it's, it's got a silver lining, but um, what I learned from that experience and it, and it was another friend of mine who was, who was doing it too. And he got to the 50,000 word count or whatever it is. I can't remember the exact thing, but he, uh, we were pushing each other, which was great. But um, I know now that if I write something, I want it to be, I want to know where I'm going. I want to know what the ending is and I want it to be good. I want it to be uh, 110%. And the writers that I've admired and the writers that I see, there, there's this consistency with, with artists that they just are perfectionists in their art. So that's kind of where I am, where I'm like, it, it's, it's going to have to be wrenched out of my hand, this book, in order to... <laughs> For me to say, oh, okay, we'll we'll send this off to the publisher because yeah. um, I don't think anything is really ever done. You can always add, you know, something to it. Yeah, yeah. I guess that, and that can be the the issue with not having someone hounding you saying we need this by this date is that you can keep making tweaks and tweaks and tweaks and tweaks. Yeah, and never quite. But gets you there. still have to come up with like your own personal goals. Like, well, you know, I need to get to this page number or. I want to get this done in this amount of time. So there's still, you know, you have to be your own kind of self editor just to get these projects done. It's like some of these writers in the news who are like, well, it's 10 years too late. <laughs> so, you know, like, this is not the, the rule. This is the exception to the rule. Um, I remember seeing an interview with uh, Bob Salvatore who does the Drizzt uh, novels for, for T uh, for Wizards of the Coast now. And one of my favorite writers, but he said, and he treats it like a, like a nine to five job. And he's like, you don't understand if you mess up a deadline, you won't be published. Like mm. that is not a good thing. Like that is the one thing you don't want to do is mess that up. So, um, I don't, I don't have that kind of pressure. So it's like, you know, not, none of these projects, these are all labors of love. So it's like, I, I don't expect to be paid. It doesn't, you know, that that's not a factor so that's that's good if it was a freelance job i'd be you know there, there's, a, there's a certain thing i loved about being a journalist i would go to like these um i was covering the Bering springs michigan city council and i'm like taking notes and then i had to get in by nine o'clock so it was like the meeting was at six or seven 
and I'm flying home and I'm just writing it down. And it was like that, that adrenaline rush of getting the story down. It, it's something that I do kind of dig too. And I can't, even in my, in the work that I've done in, you know, these different kind of a factory or I'm working a, a, a warehouse now in the quality department is there's this investigative kind of aspect of me that kind of doesn't shut off. So it's like the investigative journalist in me is still kind of there going, we're, okay, we can find out, you know, where this goes. So it's, it's nice to have those skill set. And I don't think the journalist can ever, you know, I just scroll through things on the internet and I just shake my head because there's no editors, there's no checks and balances. It was, it, it's a, there was a bit in the story I'm writing um, where I've got a, an old print guy and that was kind of like me in the, the last bits of actually going to the papers and, there's a newsroom and there, you know, like newspapers were still something, you know, 20 years ago, 22 years ago. And now it's like, there's still newspapers. Like, but you know, it's like, uh, just, just having that seeing it and being part of it. And then it all going kind of digital. It was kind of cool to be, to see that transition there just to, it's just in a little bit. So, so that, that was interesting to be part of that, uh, part of that world in just a little bit, little way. I mean, you touched on there sort of your life outside of, you know, your geek culture, your writing. I mean, how, how would you describe yourself outside of your geek side? Oh, well, I've, I've got a, you know, a 24 year old daughter and my, and my wife's my best friend. So we, we go to shows and we hang out every day. And, um, you know, we, we just, you know, we just like traveling and, yeah, just hanging out with each other. A lot of breweries around here. Um, I don't particularly like this area, but, you know, being with her makes things tolerable, even in the worst situations. So we've been together for a um, quarter of a century now so, or more. So we, you know, we've been married since 2000. So we've been married 22 years and been together about, yeah, about 25. So, um yeah, it's 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 like not going to shows for two years. <laughs> now we're seeing like One Republic this Sunday, you know, in in St. Paul. So it's Brilliant. it's it's nice to be able to, to see people. Because um, I was like, yeah, for those two years, I'm like, I don't know if we're ever going to see anybody again. That's crazy. But um, no, I just I just I like to look at the not look at so much as a serious sides of things a lot of the times i try not to have a good sense of humor about things um <laughs> sometimes things just get so absurd you have to laugh at it <laughs> yeah so i try not to get too uh serious about things but and then if something happens i tend to channel it through my writing i don't i that that's kind of where i what i do now so um but i know if things got completely off the rails to to do seek help i'm a big advocate for that um, taking care of one's mental health is definitely important, especially these days. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> you never know what's coming around the corner <laughs> these days. Yeah. Tony and I both, we both grew up in a, a, a 1500 person town and on the coast of Michigan with a nuclear plant, um, a mile and a half away, which I worked at for three years. So that's, that was interesting too. So, um, uh, I worked at two different nuclear plants, but yeah, so it was it was like this uh, strange, very strange town. So it was like watching Twin Peaks. I'm like, yeah, I can completely relate to that kind <laughs> of like everything's just a little off center. 
Mm. Um, but very small, very small, small town stuff. So, you know, like later on in life, I watch stuff like Smallville and, and, and Superman, and I'd start to gravitate towards these things where it's like, he's the guy from Smallville. And I can, and it's like um, Hemingway said, you know, about Paris, you know, it's almost like if you're from a small town, it is like a movable feast that you take with you everywhere that you kind of like draw from, you know, but then I've met people who've like from St. Paul, you know, from the city were like, Oh, I think you'd, you'd be all right in the city. And I'm like, I wasn't always, you know, I lived in Jackson, Michigan, which, you know, there would be situations <laughs> where, you'd have like a shooting down the road or something where you were like, okay, what's going on? Like having to go into like city mode, like, okay, what do I do now? You know, it's weird how you, you get these certain skills or we'll go to a, a different town uh, or Cincinnati or Memphis or something on our travels and, you know, situations would happen that kick in and then you're like, well, cuts have come a long way from the kid from the small town. <laughs> so it was a tourist town too. So all the, the population would swell up in the summer. So you would go to the beach and there would be, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people from other States. So the locals rely on the, on the economy, on their economy for people from outside, but this secretly hate them. So it's a strange, <laughs> strange coexistence that everybody has. My folks were both uh, school teachers. So that was a whole other thing. Uh, my dad was a football coach and, um, so it was this whole, like, you have to act a certain way in public. So you don't embarrass us. Or you, you're, 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 you're reflecting on the family. So it was, it was, it was a strange, strange upbringing I had with like, you know, <laughs> my dad was a firefighter. So it was like, oh, wow. we'd have the, uh, little box of the firefighter signals that, you know, that the, the calls that would come through and, you know, God forbid there was ever a, a nuclear plant call. It would <laughs> It was, yeah. And then once I worked there and, and realized, all, you know, the, the problems that that nuclear plant had, it was like, oh, boy. <laughs> it was like the Simpsons more than, than, I, than I really wanted to ever admit. But, man, the situations I found myself in, I was like, okay, this is odd. I'm vacuuming like nine feet from a nuclear reactor. Okay. You'll probably use this in a story someday. It's weird because sometimes I would have these situations where I'm like, I probably will put this in a story one day. Like the writer's selfishness kind of kicks in. <laughs> yeah. I don't tend to make any, I mean, the, the stuff I write about now, the people, the characters are just so far out from what I, I normally would. So that, that's been really nice too. Um, I find myself having to like, you know, not like not be religious a religious person to write about religion. Whereas 15 years ago, I might've been more of a religious person. So it's like, Oh, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's been, uh, it's been good though. It's just uh, having these, uh, yeah, these viewpoints, I mean, to make yourself more free to be creative. So mm. it does sound like living in that area when you were younger, it, it sounds like it built up. Like I said earlier, you know, going on adventures, finding all these things, and you kind of still do the same now, going on travels and going to shows. It, oh, yeah. It really sounds like it built up that adventurous spirit within you. We're always traveling. And I thought everybody does those things. And then I lived in Jackson, and I knew people who were like, yeah, I park my car in the driveway on uh, Friday, and I don't leave till Sunday. <laughs> my wife and I are just like, that That would be awful. 
<laughs> like just just awful yeah so we always kind of like like to travel to shows like i'd never been to cleveland ohio and then we went to see motley crew and their supposed last tour which was not their supposed last tour <laughs> still a little mad about that never been there stayed in a bed and breakfast in ohio city which is across the the bridges to downtown and uh, just loved it, just loved the city. So we, we would go back there every six months or so when we lived closer, in, when we lived in Michigan. And it was just a really, it was kind of like what Detroit would be if they cleaned up Detroit. Cause you know, the Cuyahoga River was on fire in the seventies and eighties and Cleveland had cleaned it all up. And it was, it was a great little place to like have a hotel room downtown and just you could walk to a casino. You could walk to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was there, too. That was a huge thing. And then bar hop. And it, it was a blast. But, yeah, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was like a pilgrimage for my wife and I. It was just so cool. <laughs> yeah. And we saw you 2 there in, um, in the Brown Stadium. And that was, that was awful hot. But we, one Republic opened up for them. So we were like, we need, it. We need vindication for this. Because we just saw, like, five songs. So. That's why we're seeing them Sunday. So, right. um, yeah, we always look at stuff like, oh, we could travel here and see a show. And yeah, it's been really cool because you see, uh, you get to know parts of the city that's away from like the tourist stuff. Yeah, we did like uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, the Christmas Story House is there too, but we would no interest in that. But start talking to the locals more and uh, we'd have like a local bar that they called the beer engine down there in, in Lakewood, Ohio, that we would go to. And so that was kind of cool. Like in our travels, like finding uh, places the locals would go to, I think it's really important. Um, and I only found that one because it was like the number one rated um, Mexican restaurant it was like across the street, like line out the door and we're like, Oh, what's oh, wow. this place? And it became like, you know, a, a constant stop in our travels. So, yeah, we went out west last fall and uh, stayed like four days in Colorado. So that's why now it's like we found where we belong. We found a place that because um, Minnesota is definitely not it. <laughs> <laughs> sure, some people love it. And I know the locals love it. <laughs> But last winter was too cold. That was the coldest I've ever been in my life. I thought I'd been cold in Michigan, but no. <laughs> no. It was on a different level. It started in like September and didn't end until May. Wow. I'm like, yeah, wait till the July snowstorms. Like, nope. <laughs> Tapping out. We're leaving. <laughs> yeah, something about the mountains just, just, put us under a spell or something. We just mm. can't wait to go back. Uh, just the idea of that, just picking up and moving to a different state, that would completely, it would blow some people's minds. They Just the idea of it would make them freeze on the spot and go, nah, not happening. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people thought it were crazy, just going from Michigan to here. I don't know anybody. I know, I know two people in Colorado, two, uh, two people from, from my hometown, one who's a really good friend of mine. So, you know, if I'm like something catastrophic happens, I'd be like, hey, it's Heath. I'm, I'm here. You know, I'm in the area. Didn't know anybody here. We were supposed to go to Oregon, and then we took a trip to Oregon last fall. We didn't like it. So, oh, my God, we didn't do that. <laughs> so this is what happened. We, go, we, we leave 
and we come here and we travel down. Okay, so we went up to the UP first in the upper peninsula of Michigan. My, my grandparents are from there. My dad's from a town called Iron River, which is an iron ore mining town. And I hadn't been to my great grandfather's house since I was since 1986 or something. So I found it. I found it in Caspin. I found in Caspin, Michigan. I took pictures of it. I took pictures of my grandparents' grave site, which I'd never been to. It was really awesome. But the town was just so, there's nothing there. And then we went back down and we went down to Wisconsin and we went down into Tennessee and we did a little trip around and came back up through Des Moines, Kansas City. And then we wound up here and we wound up here on Memorial Day weekend <laughs> two years ago when um, George Floyd's murder happened and we had no idea what was happening. We had no news. We weren't listening to the news. We weren't paying attention to the news. And it was like everything had happened that weekend. So I'm literally a, mi a mile and a half away from them burning down the police precinct in a town. I don't even know where that is. I'm Google mapping it going, where is that? We're, we're staying across from the Mall of America and there's like police cars all in the Mall of America. I'm like, they're not going to come to Mall of America. It was, uh, it was, it was, an, it was unreal. And, um, yeah. So the second day I was here, I, I was applying for jobs and I got a job and yeah, so it, it was supposed to be a, a, a little, a little layover and almost <laughs> two and a half years later, we're, we're finally moving on. So, <laughs> but being, um, being that close to something that historical was, was crazy. It was just crazy time to be uh, around here and seeing the most ugly side of a, of a city it's something I don't think they ever want people to see again. It's, it's very weird as an outsider coming in. And, uh, yeah. And there's ways that they handle things here. That I'm from Michigan. In the, I mean, I, I grew up in the small town, but I lived in the middle of Michigan, which is so close to Detroit. And it's so in your face. Like, they don't do that here. They're very passive-aggressive. They call it Minnesota nice. No, it's more mm. Minnesota passive aggressive. They don't get confrontational, and I'm, but it, it's it's just really strange. But the crime is huge, so it's like, it's a it's a very 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 weird place. But yeah, it was it was definitely crazy. And 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 like, as far as a music lover, that venues are like massive. There's like 15 different places that people play. First Avenue where Prince played, and you know countless little small clubs we saw amy mann um three or four months ago in a little little club called the fitzgerald in st paul it's like all these like little vaudeville theaters that nobody tore down so the venue wise i think maybe new york has and or vegas has more i can't think of a city that i've been to that has i mean chicago might chicago might it's would be taken like the suburbs but yeah, it's it's crazy how many people come here, and the, the crowds are just <laughs> unenthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <laughs> don't really get into it here. <laughs> and I'd heard that about Minnesota crowds, and I was like, no, nah, that can't be true. Uh, it's true. So, do you think, like tying it back to um, sort of geek culture, your, your time of comic mm. books? Do you think? Obviously, growing up in a small town, built the adventurous spirit. Do you think comic books have built part of it as well? Seeing people going on these adventures and yeah, I, th I feel like um, comic books gave me like 
I mean, not to get into my childhood or anything, but they, they gave me this moral center. Like Tony always talks about Danny O'Neill being the most important uh, person in his, you know, like when we're kids. But for me, it was Stan and, and the kinds of lessons I'm learning from comics and the kinds of like, uh, yeah, the things you can draw from from it. It um, It's just kind of like this, this living life and not being... I don't know. I drew, I drew from so many different. I realize now that between Star Wars and Star Trek and comics, I, I mean, you're like building your own kind of uh, moral compass, you know, for for lack of a better word. I mean, it's probably sad how much I, I <laughs> comics have meant to me throughout the years. But I mean, they got me through high school. They got me through the most difficult times of my life when I had nobody. When I was alone and it's it's something i don't take lightly it's something that you know i look at the the world today and i'm like they're making a third ant-man movie and i'm like yeah more of that because being a little marvel zombie i didn't think they'd ever make an iron man movie or something you know it's like the fact that the mcu is so successful does not surprise me at all because I grew not only grew up, but I I, I worshipped those. So they're practically falling apart, the comic books. And you know, if there was anything with comic print in it, it didn't matter if it was you know Superman or if it was, but particularly like the books they would have. Like our elementary school library would have like a book on on the Hulk and it would have his origin and Spider Man. It was it was great, and it was just uh, getting all this knowledge pre internet like the Marvel age series where they would show the history of, of Marvel and, and just, and, and, oh, and then the official handbook, the Marvel universe came out and it was like a to Z of every character. Oh, I just love that. Like the OCD part of my brain was like, Oh, this is awesome. <laughs> I know how much Sasquatch can lift compared to Nightcrawler. I know every relative that Nightcrawler has. So it was like this, it, it was this puzzle to figure out. It was this mystery and yeah. And there was always an adventure. It was always like, but, but really for me, it was like, once I hit the mutants, once I hit the X-Men, the others I loved, but they were nothing compared to the X-Men. That was like, that, that was a, a, a renaissance for me. And it, that's probably still lasts to this day. Like <laughs> there was something about a home feeling like an outsider myself for all these different reasons. And then finding a comic where it's like professor X is going to take care of you, even though you're different. Oh my God, that is, that was it. <laughs> there was no other like, Oh, let's go to the Baxter building, hang out with the fantastic four. It's like, no, no, check this out. Like Rachel Summers is the Phoenix now. Why? I mean, it was just awesome. Yeah. Once I found the X-Men, that was, that was it. And then later on, it was like the, it was like all of us kind of had our own little thing that we were specializing in that we collected. And mine was the New Mutants. So seeing the New Mutants movie was like, like I'm like the number one fan going, yeah, the New Mutants movie. <laughs> and everyone's like, it's the most horrible thing ever. I'm like, they put Ileana and her soul blade in the, in the movie. I don't understand what your problem is. Come on. It's the demon bear story, basically. Come on. Yeah, just the fact yeah, that it, it was, exists. Oh, yeah. And I can go back and watch any of those and just, I forgive all the faults of them. <laughs> Even Apocalypse. Whew. Apocalypse is a rough one, but 
I cried on Days of the Future Past at the end, and I cried like at the end of Apocalypse. Uh, I don't want you know spoilers from years ago, but when Jean's when her Phoenix form flares up at the end of that movie, I was the only person in the movie theater crying because I was like, "Oh my God, I finally seen it! It was it was wonderful." There was just kind of like these soap operas to attach to when you're when you're ten, but I think it, I needed that to get through, you know, everything. So it's like, how how can I ever hate comics when you know they help me through, you know, these these times in my life? And there were such good comics. Now I realized too, like this. I, I feel like sometimes with the well, Jonathan Hickman stuff aside, because he's just awesome, crazy, but. They, they were always trying to trying to hit that Claremont stride. And it's like, nowadays, it's just so crazy cool. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was awesome. Like once the movies start coming out and stuff, too, it's like you could you could come out and say, yeah, you know, I ran into a I remember seeing the X-Men and I ran into a guy who was a really close friend of mine for years. And he was like, I still have my box of comics, man. And isn't this awesome? Like we were all looking at each other like this is so crazy that this is happening. It's like, it, it, to me, it never gets old. It's like, no, just give us more. I am watching Doctor Strange and, you know, it's like, oh my God. I'm seeing uh, someone who actually might be a good fa Mr. Fantastic. Oh. That's a whole other subject, the Fantastic Four movies. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the saga in itself. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, going back to that, that's more, I keep talking about the small town, but I think it kind of, it has formulated you in some ways. Oh, well, check this out. So no comic shops in my small town. Nearest comic shop is non-existent until the late 80s. Uh, Joe jo Lauk was her name. She ran this shop with her son um, that started in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And before that, she was in the flea market. So my stuff, and I think the reason why I was into Marvel is because the supermarket had a spinner rack. And that was the only way we had comics. And then there was a Rite Aid pharmacy that had a spinner rack of like DC stuff, but that was it. So you had to go to like uh, a comic shop, which didn't exist. So it was crazy that we got everything from these, like whatever the store had deemed to put in those spinner racks. So, I mean, like I said, I started to like try to trade other toys or comics for other comics with people at school. But um, yeah, it was, it was just, I was just a huge geek. Like everybody's playing on a mountain of snow, trying to knock each other off the mountain of snow. And me and Sean are reading comics. Like <laughs> <laughs> we're sitting there with comics and no, but not, you know, the kids are playing with their, their hot wheels in the snow or the sand. Cause they did that year round. And I was like, I don't know how you guys are doing that, but bless you. And we're just so into this, this world. It was, it was awesome. I mean, a lot of ways I think I don't think I ever ever came out of that world, but um, yeah. So it was it was it was going to the spinner racks and then going to the comic shop and then it becoming like Wednesday Warriors today. But we we couldn't get there till Friday, so then it was having like I had a part time job at the local grocery store and you know saving half of my dough and the sa and then the rest of my money was just my money. So once I had my own money, then it was like, oh, I'm got a pull file now. It's my comic shop, so. That's when I got into it back again in, in high school. Tony and I became really good friends towards the end of my freshman year, best friends. And he would give me stacks of DC stuff. So then I get into DC and that whole onion 
which is just like unraveling an onion. Oh, there's another layer. So I'm like, how many Robins are there? You know, and then like 45 <laughs> minutes later, I'm like, what? And he's like, here, boom. Here's Dark Knight Returns. Here's Long Bow Hunters. Here's just giving me this history of DC to where I'm just like unraveling it all. So I think that's why today I just love the JSA and Starman and Stargirl and this like the, the legacy of it. And then the fact that they're trying to start doing that with Marvel, it's it's really cool. But that was the next phase of of my geekdom was getting all the into DC and going, oh my God. And it was nothing like I thought. I had just been exposed to like the Batman, the TV show and 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 the cartoons. And this is when Batman the movie was coming out. So that was like bat everything. Everything. So it was uh it was pretty wild. It was a pretty much an education. And then later on, my friend, uh, and when we lived in Albion, uh, we had this friend, Teddy Moon, and he would do the same thing with anime, stacks of VHS tapes, and we would just pull all-nighters and just get absorbed to anime. So I got into manga and anime through going to the comic shop and seeing like Captain Harlock, which is Legion Matsumoto, who I think is my hero as far as any, any of that stuff. But I, I remember Star Blazers when I was a kid, and I was like, yeah, the battleship in space, that's got to be it. And I got it wrong. And I got into Harlock because I got that wrong. And it was like, it was an awesome accident because I, then I got into like Ninja High School. And, and, I, and I got into all this stuff that later on, when my daughter's, I'm raising my daughter, she's just coming of age during Naruto is coming out. And she's kind of in Sailor Moon. So that first big renaissance of, of Americans being exposed to this massive amount of anime, she's riding the crest of it. I work with a work with a guy who's my daughter's age and he's, you know, talking about all this stuff that she grew up with. So my daughter's a geek too. There's just no way <laughs> she was gonna turn out. <laughs> so when my wife and I get together, I'm just like I'm like, oh I'm in the comics and she had never read comics. So I'm like, here's Sandman, here's Sandman yeah. Mystery Theater. I'm just giving her the good stuff. So she's she's got a she's got a, a cachou tattoo from Terry Moore from Strangers in Paradise on her on her on her leg. She is a massive Terry Moore fan through his whole career, you know, and it's it's been really cool to have someone have a partner who understands never not a superhero person. Like the most superhero she's read is like Jupiter's Legacy or something like that, but um just loves the medium understanding it as a medium of storytelling and not just superheroes. Cause that drives me bonkers where they're just like, Oh yeah. Comics are superheroes. It's like, no, it's, it's a medium, you know? So it's crazy that your kind of, your journey has been defined by these four or five pivotal people. And it just shows the influence that people can have, because if it wasn't for those people throughout your life, who knows yeah. where your interest would lie. So I had a friend Lee who um, sadly passed away two years ago. And I, I was in two plays in middle school, love the theater, love acting. And um, I go in, it's around forensics time, and they're like, come into the theater. And I go in there, and she had been a friend of my family, the, her, the Schwarhaus, her family had, they, you know, they've been friends of the family, and I didn't really know her that well. And then, like, she's into punk rock and all this stuff. And then I go in there, and, and then my, my whole world is notched up because... I'm exposed to this entire counterculture and I'm exposed to this completely different way of thinking. She was pivotal in my life by like 
I had never been to clubs where people, you know, LGBTQ people were in any any form. Because I'm in this small little town that's very conservative, very, you know, racist and all this stuff. And I just remember, like, oh, well, how can these people, you know, and she's just like, love is love. And I was like 15. And I'm like, I'm just going to, you know, go with that the rest of my life. And I have, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's makes sense. But she was one of those people that was like, just be yourself. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're good enough. Just be you. So the whole time I'm looking to be popular or looking to be this or looking to be that. And she's like, you, you are good enough who you are. And I got this lesson at 15 and I'm like, okay. So I've just been running with it, you know, because finding that, that you like yourself and that you are enough is very important, particularly at that age where everybody wants to be something else. So by the time I get to sophomore year and Tony's graduating, I've got two more years and I know that this whole high school thing is a bunch of shit and, and a bunch of crap. And I'm just like, I, I know that this is a bunch of crap. So, okay, I'm going to have to survive for the next couple of years. So I probably did a lot more dumb things then than I really wanted to do, but it was kind of surviving to get out of the town. I mean, to get out of that town, to not get out of that town would have been the worst thing in the world. Just for me, it was, it was like a prison. And I've known so many people who've gone back. The population doesn't really go down. So many people who go back to that town to live. And it just, it, it's crazy. But it is like a movable feast. It, it is like something that for good or bad, you're, you're, you're stuck with. So, but finding that out in that time when it's early 90s and, you know, I'm getting like uh, glad letters sent because I'm supporting glad, you know, my folks are going, why are you getting the glad letter? And I'm like, I support them. What's wrong with that? You know, my parents were supposed to be, you know, kind of progressive teachers and stuff. And at least my father, but you know, it, it was, it was crazy, but it was, it was not crazy, crazy from when everybody else thought about everything. Um, the way that things are now, I think is so great as far as transparency and the fact that we're addressing all these things that were just never addressed and giving people voices that never had a voice. So, um, yeah, so I, I, there's just so many parts of it that just couldn't be done, changes that couldn't be made. But, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was very, very pivotal. That year, my freshman year, was very pivotal in my life where I was just like, okay, this is who I am. So I didn't really have to go through like figuring out who I was. It was just like, this is who I am. And, you know, everybody else is going to have to deal with it. So then it was a lot of, <laughs> you know, getting slam dancing <laughs> banned from my high school, <laughs> you know, <laughs> having the mulleted, <laughs> the mulleted, uh, you know, punk rock, <laughs> redneck kind of guy, not punk rock, <laughs> more like, uh, 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 what do you want to say? like heavy metal guys getting slammed into in 1992, you know, it didn't go out well. It was like one school dance that we had slam dancing and then I immediately, immediately got it banned, you know? So it was like <laughs> me and my misfit friends, but, um, now my wife was, uh, uh, 
in the theater arts and her at her school, which is a, a different town. So for her, it was like the uh, uh, what they used to call it, like the island of misfit toys that they all lived on. Like the um, that's her, her theater uh, friends were all like, and it was like a sanctuary. Like they had this great teacher in Alex, uh, my daughter's partially named after, who could, it was like their sanctuary. And we didn't have that in Bridgeton. <laughs> we just kind of had each other. So there were there were there were houses we could hang out with, and uh, you know, but we're not doing anything radical more than just playing D and D. So that was another thing. Role playing games and video games were just huge parts of of that time too. Um, yeah. So Dungeons and Dragons was great because then I could fuel my writing and come up with these scenarios and. Um, yeah, that started in like middle school. And yeah, so I watch like Stranger Things now and I'm like, yep, I was like a couple years younger than those kids and a lot of this stuff. I'm like, oh, that was the couch we had. <laughs> but a lot of that is like, you know, the kind of abuse that you go through by being a geek and it's like, it's going to get better. And it did, and it has gotten better. It's, it's, it's pretty wild how the world is. And I'm like, oh, we just took over the world. That's pretty cool. So there is a, you know, there is a happy ending for all these things, but yeah, it was just, uh, I, I lucked out. I met, I met some really great people who, who just uh, set me on a path of just being yourself and not, you know, being an asshole, basically, <laughs> <laughs> you know, be true to yourself and look after each other and, and, and be positive within, within fandom or within geekdom and, don't let the toxicity overrun your fandom. You know, if you're at a con and you're around people, you know, those just look out for each other. Someone's being a jerk, then you know, be those, be like those superheroes that you that you love so much. Don't be somebody that Captain America would smack in the face. Like, definitely look for, out for each other. Because when I hear about stories about people who, you know, are in line at a con and they're like, here's you know, I don't have any money. It's, it's cash only. And they're like, here's my Venmo. Here's 20 bucks. Meet, you know, this celebrity who, the, you know, that is geeks paying it forward. Like always, you know, always have each other's back. And if you don't, you know, if you don't have anybody, then know that there are people out there that are just like you. Like I said, I was a, a very lonely kid for a long time and that, and, and the fandom geekdom got me through it. So it gets better and you'll find like i told my kid you'll find your tribe so just, just look out for where they are you can hear more from heath on indie comic spotlight available in the comics in motion feed he's a regular guest with tony farina slowly making their way through the entire sin city collection be sure to give it a listen when those two get a conversation about comics going everyone pays attention Speaking of Tony, a big thank you to him for his help producing today's episode. As always, thank you for listening. You can contact the show at Era of Geek on social media or head to superdummy.co.uk slash geek. If you like the show, please do leave a review and tell your friends. You can also leave a review on podchaser.com. <laughs>